I mean, could somebody explain to me how you can get a billion streams and not get a million dollars? Like, that shit don't make sense to me. Hey, streamers and dreamers. My name is Kika Loma, and you are listening to The Week by Telecom Electronic Beats. It's Thursday, May 18th, and this is your weekly update on music, culture, and what's next. We have heard and had this discussion in underground dance music for a while. Streaming simply does not pay the bills. And even when it does, the share that artists receive from the revenue generated by platforms like Spotify or Apple Music is oftentimes perceived as unfair. You might even remember the German producer Ski Mask pulling all of his music from streaming services in 2022. Last week, another artist weighed in on the whole debate about streaming. It's exciting, but streaming gotta get get their shit together. Because I don't understand how the fuck you get paid off of that shit. <laughs> like, I mean, could somebody explain to me how you can get a billion streams and not get a million dollars? That shit don't add up. This is Snoop Dogg, who was speaking at a business conference in Beverly Hills. Now, Snoop Dogg is a major global superstar. He currently sits just outside the top 100 artists on Spotify with more than 31 million monthly listeners. As a businessman, Snoop Dogg even owns major parts of the catalogue of the legendary West Coast rap label Death Row Records. His comments bring new attention to an old debate around technology and fairness. Music certainly isn't the only industry that is affected by this debate. One of, if not the main story in culture and entertainment over the past weeks has been the Hollywood writer's strike. You might have heard that more than 11,000 TV and movie writers who are members of the Writers Guild of America Union have decided to stop working, leaving everything from late night comedy to your favourite Netflix show without the talent needed to keep the ideas flowing. But music has always been special. The price point for our monthly music subscription is fairly low compared to what we are used to paying to watch our favourite series and movies. And to make things worse, a lot of artists are competing for a piece of that pie. As fans, I think we can all agree that streaming is very convenient. We can access millions of songs by most of the world's greatest artists. But at the same time, the compensation for the artists we love so much is extremely low. It doesn't come as a surprise that there is resistance. Many artists demand fairer payouts from streaming services. But not much has changed over the past years. So to find out where things went wrong with music streaming and what can be done to fix things, I called up Darren Hemmings. Darren runs the UK-based music marketing agency Motive Unknown. He has worked with a broad range of clients, from Boiler Room and Warp Records to Robbie Williams and the Spice Girls, just to name a few. Darren also writes a highly recommended newsletter on music and tech. We'll put the link in the show notes. Hey Darren, so great to have you. So you would think that an artist at Snoop Dogg's level would have no problems with cash flow. What is he so mad about? I suspect the reality of the Snoop Dogg comment is just that He's tapping into the wider narrative of artists being hard done by. So I'd like to think that he's not necessarily mad based on uh, his own monthly listeners, but potentially, you know, other artists he's working with or has sight on. I think it's more a broader comment rather than specifically about himself. If you had to get specific, what are the biggest problems with how streaming services calculate and distribute royalties to artists? For me, the biggest problem is simply that the streaming services are calculated in a manner where the people at the top essentially benefit the most. You know, if you're Ed Sheeran or Taylor Swift, you're doing very well out of streaming services. If you're a smaller artist at the very bottom of things, your 
contribution to the overall pie, if you like, of money to divide up is so incredibly small. But, you know, even if I listened to you all month and I didn't play anybody else, the amount of money you'd still get back from my, you know, £10 a month or, or whatever we're paying would be incredibly small. And that really is at the heart of the problem here. This discussion isn't new. Artists have been complaining about not being able to earn a living from streaming revenues for years now. Are there any initiatives or solutions being proposed to address these challenges? I think if we're looking purely at streaming revenues, the fan-centric model, um, which is basically, you know, if I listen to an artist, you know, only that artist all month, you know, that artist gets the, the full share of revenue from my subscription, um, you know, that model is now being trialled by SoundCloud. And so far, the feedback on it has been fantastic as just a much better model, you know, and it, it is pretty simple. If somebody then listens to your music all month, you're going to get significantly more money back than you would under the current models used by the likes of Spotify and co. Beyond that, there is a wider initiative uh, in which Universal are trying to claim, well, actually Universal and Warner's now, and I suspect uh, Sony will do the same soon. You know, they're all trying to claim that the streaming model doesn't work and that if I listen to hours and hours of rainfall, it's not the same as listening to in their case, the likes of Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift. But what that model will look like in time is is to be determined. So as yet, we don't really know what that will, will look like. A cynic might argue that the majors will tilt this in favour of the bigger acts. So it's still up for debate whether smaller artists would genuinely benefit. So for now, I would argue the fan-centric model is the one to, to keep an eye on. And that's already in use on the likes of SoundCloud. So it's it's not a a proposed thing. It's in action already. And if it succeeds, it will continue to grow. You just mentioned that fans should keep an eye out for newer and fairer business models. But let's dive deeper into what we can do. What's the best way for me to support an artist I love? How can I ensure that a significant chunk of the money I spend on goods and services related to the artist ends up in said artist's pocket? Honestly, I think the awkward truth to this is perhaps, you know, don't necessarily buy into the attention economy as a means to uh, remunerate artists you know this whole idea that oh, I've listened for X amount of time blah 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 it doesn't really work you know the reality is the most immediate way to support artists is a transactional model you know like the ones of old you know if you're offering vinyl and somebody pays you for that vinyl you receive the money immediately your costs are, are therefore being covered more and it's money straight in your pocket so you know honestly the best way to support artists is to buy directly from them if you can uh, you know, platforms like Bandcamp, you know, do a, a great deal to support that as well. But, you know, equally, the merchandise around what they're doing, you know, the broader things they sell, they all help. So anything that involves a, a straightforward transaction is always going to benefit those artists a lot more and therefore is definitely preferable to any streaming solution. You know, it puts materially so much more back in their pocket. Thanks, Darren. Now, let's hit the other headlines that mattered this week. Viral rapper claims to be professional footballer. No, pro athletes dabbling with rap is nothing new. Shaquille O'Neal, Romelu Lukaku, Alan Iverson and Serena Williams have all tried rapping over the years. But they didn't necessarily make a secret out of it. Viral UK sensation D-Day, on the other hand, claims to play football in the English Premier League while keeping his government name and face hidden behind a mask. The whole thing sounds like a storyline from Ted Lasso, really, but here are the facts. D-Day's breakout track dropped in April. 
It's called Thrill and it has racked up two and a half million streams on Spotify alone. The lyrics are surprisingly introspective. DJ speaks about his pain, mentions therapy sessions and says his main intention is to inspire the younger generation. He even takes time to criticise UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and his government for not helping those living in poverty during the current Cosy Lives, also known as the cost of living crisis. Fans, of course, have been trying to unearth DJ's true identity with forensic detail. Someone fed interview clips from Arsenal forward Eddie Nketiah to an AI voice recognition software to check if it's him. Others have spotted a tattoo on DJ's wrist that matches a tattoo on Shei Ojo's body, who is a former Liverpool player. Dido himself is unfazed by all of it. He recently told Face magazine that he has no intentions to reveal his identity. Oh, and neither his teammates nor his club have a clue that he's the UK's most unlikely rap sensation. With Dido adding, even if they did, nothing would change. Beyonce kicks off Renaissance World Tour in style. If you're amongst the lucky ones who managed to get tickets to Beyonce's Renaissance World Tour and you're trying to avoid concert spoilers, I imagine you're having a pretty hard time right now. Beyonce kicked off her tour in Stockholm last week and since then, the internet has been absolutely flooded with tour content. It's pictures and videos of Jay-Z and daughter Blue Ivy at the opening night. It's the set list, it's speculations about B's health, it's pricey tour merch, it's visuals and of course, Beyonce's outfits. On the album, she name-dropped luxury brands like Hermes, Prada, Givenchy, Louis Vuitton and Balenciaga. However, her outfits on stage did not feature any of these brands. Spoiler alert! One of the internet's favourites was a custom black and yellow bodysuit by Moogler with a silver antenna headpiece to match. You know, Queen Bee, The Hive and all. There's also a gown that changes colour when exposed to UV light and so much more. I still can't figure out how many times she changed outfits during the show. But anyways, in addition to B's outfits, there's also a viral TikTok showing a rather indifferent crowd at one of the concerts. Seated in one of the far-flung corners of the arena, they look on as if they were presiding over a court hearing or something like that. Needless to say, the clip made the rounds and the internet was not having it. There are plenty of fans who would gladly take the tickets off their hands instead. There are a total of 57 shows planned for this tour, so I'm sure we'll be seeing videos of more animated crowds soon. And if you see any videos of someone who looks like me at the Barcelona show in June going wild, well, I plead the fifth. SoundCloud lets artists DM their fans. How many fans have daydreamed about their favourite artists sliding into their DMs? SoundCloud has now moved that dream a little closer to reality. They recently announced a new feature simply called Fans. Fans allows creators with a SoundCloud Next Pro subscription to message their followers directly, whether to thank them for their support, send snippets of unreleased music, or maybe just chat about how their day is going. The sky is the limit, I suppose. Ed versus Ed and what that means. Ed Sheeran has won a big copyright trial. You may have heard about it as pretty much every news outlet covered the trial. Not only because Ed Sheeran was involved, but because the ruling might have changed how musicians and producers write their songs forever. Let's rewind and start at the beginning. Ed Sheeran was accused of copying Marvin Gaye's classic slow jam, Let's Get It On, for his own song, Thinking Out Loud. Thinking Out Loud was a massive hit. It generated billions of streams on Spotify and won the Grammy for the Song of the Year in 2016. As you might imagine, a lot of cash comes with this kind of success, and the heirs to Ed Townsend, Marvin Gaye's co-writer, wanted a slice of the pie. Now you might see why people refer to the trial as Ed versus Ed. Well, the jury eventually ruled in favor of Ed, as in Ed Sheeran, stating that he created the song independently. 
This is a big one, not only for Ed Sheeran, but for all musicians everywhere. Why? Ed, as in Ed Townsend's people, argued that the chord progression from Let's Get It On was protected by copyright. So had they won, the implication would be that anyone who ever played a certain set of chords in a certain order could sue anyone else who did the same, even if they did it unintentionally. And if you are able to copyright a chord progression, that would basically mean no more new music. There's only so many chords after all. But hey, the court ruled in favour of Ed Sheeran, so for now, songwriters can breathe a sigh of relief. If you want to dive deeper into this trial and what it means for the industry, you can listen to an episode of the Music Now podcast. Link is in the show notes. In last week's episode, we talked about festival culture after COVID. We delved into what has changed and how we, as DJs, organisers, promoters and ravers, can adapt. I had some amazing people in the studio with me to talk this through. Sinti, who is playing Home Again Festival in Berlin this weekend, and Niels Gelfor, a.k.a. Tabo, who is one of the organisers and also is a DJ. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, you should definitely check it out. One of the things we talked about a lot was how DJ sets need to tell a story, take you on a journey. A big part of that journey is the opening track of a set. So I asked Tabo what his favourite opening track is. I'm actually pretty picky when it comes to the first song of a set and um, I choose this really wisely. But one that I've been playing a lot in the past months is from a friend from Portugal, Jorge Callado. He had a release on his own imprint um, and one of the songs is called Plant a New Garden. It starts with this very deep chords and um, a nice pad and you hear this vocal um, telling you a nice story and all of a sudden this kick drum comes in and it takes you on a journey and it's really deep, really nice and really intense. If you're in Berlin this weekend, you might be able to catch Tabo play this track at home again. If not, check the show notes to find the link to Plant the New Garden by George Callado. Thank you so much for sharing this with us, Niels. Hold on a second, I have one more announcement for you. Telecom is kicking off their Summer of Joy, which is basically a summer of free music events all across Europe. We're starting this whole Summer of Joy with an open-air party in Vienna with an amazing lineup, including Jada G, Fiona, Wolfram, and various artists from the Vienna-based collectives Krustig Busi Busi Club and Kein Sonntag ohne Techno. So, if you would like to be there, you can now RSVP on the website summerofjoy.electronicbeats.net. And don't forget to listen to my recent interview with Jada G as part of the Electronic Beats Conversation series, which you can find on this very podcast feed. Now, that's really it for the week this week. Thank you so much for locking in. We'll be back here next Thursday. Take care and have a great rest of the week. The Week is a production by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories. 